What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the Screenwriting Podcast. That's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Today is uh, Monday, July 24th. It is like 90 degrees out in LA. It's a scorcher. SAG and the WGA are uh, out on the picket lines doing their thing. Um, you know, but enough stripe talk. Everybody does that. It's real depressing. Uh, I'm here to lift you up and give you the real, real and excite the shit out of you because today we have an awesome guest, feature writer Chris Bremner. Uh, Chris is so great, so smart, so funny. Uh, he wrote Bad Boys for Life. He wrote Bad Boys 4, which is coming out in a year or so. He is writing or has written uh, the new installment of National Treasure. He is working on The Pink Panther. He has worked on The Wedding Ringer, The Man from Toronto. Man, this dude uh, does a lot of great feature work. I'm so excited to talk to him uh, because his journey starts like many uh, of ours, which is just trying to figure it out. Starting from college in the East Coast, where he attended Brown University, and then coming back to L.A. to sort of get his bearings, um, but not before a little stint in New York doing the coffee shop tour. So, uh, you know, I would love to say more and vamp and whatnot, but when you got a great guest, I think it's best to just get to it. So sit back, relax, unwind. Here's my interview with Chris Bremner. Pass. Nope. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. So I went to Brown. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. My what dad's else? from St. Louis. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think close by. I grew up um, in Ladue at like so Ladue he. and 170, That's Pointer true. Lane. Dude, did you go to Ladue High? I went to John Burroughs. Okay. My yeah. dad went to Ladue. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. No. Um, yeah, that's, that would have been the school I would have gone. Where did you know where we went to grade school? No. Reed School is where I went. Okay, that was the I'll public grade school that would have fed him. We should him plug to, him into this podcast. Dude, I would, let's call him. <laughs> Honestly, he could. <laughs> Give him a call. Um, <laughs> but uh, I saw a beautiful photo of him in a yellow uh, motorsports onesie. <laughs> his banana or the, it might have been a was, ski suit. It was a ski suit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was picturing him changing tires at like an F1 thing. But uh, yeah, that's what he was dressed like to ski. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I, and then I went to Brown, and yeah, I did a lot of acting in high school and in college, so it was more of acting, actually, first. So and did you want to be, like, if you had a magic wand in college, you would have said, I want to yeah, be a writer. Yeah, I, I told everybody I want to be a professional actor, actually, not a writer. Um, and I did sketch comedy, mm-hmm. and so I, and then I was writing uh, stuff I was performing in, but I was also doing, like, plays, you know, like Shakespeare and whatever, all that stuff, and yeah. all the acting classes. I studied history, that was my major. Um and then part of my senior like acting class, though, which essentially became like my thesis instead of doing it for history, was I wrote a, an hour-long sh- uh, solo show that I performed for an hour. Still what, like, one of the most challenging things I ever did. It was a class at that college where it was called Solo, and every person had to put on a 60-minute one-man or one-woman show, right? Holy shit. And by the way, the three other... The, there were five guys and five girls in that class. Three of the other guys in it, who I just have, I'm sure there are other people doing amazing things, but I'm just aware of three. One is Stephen Levinson, who wrote Dear Evan Hansen and all that stuff. 
Uh, two of the others are Benji Samet and Dan Hernandez, who just wrote the Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles movie. And, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I want their career. And um, and then, yeah, so it was like, it was just an interesting, and I'm sure many other people have gone on to be actors and other things, but like just that little pocket have become all screenwriters apropos of this What was your solo podcast. about? So mine was called The Hieroglyph, and uh, if I can say, I think it was one of the best ones. Uh, <laughs> Go for it, dude. This is your, this is uh, your day. Um I rem- it was so hard for me. I didn't. I was not a natural storyteller, right? Like I was funny. I could write a sketch, but how to put a whole story together? So I'd, I'd created a bunch of kind of odd sketches, but I could not figure out how to unite them. And then I figured out this, frankly, bizarre, convoluted way to do so, which was I was basically a PhD student. I built. It was in a little black box theater, which I had essentially turned into like a Indiana Jones style, like Egyptian tomb. Right, and it had it was full of booby traps, and there was I, it was painted. I had my friend uh, Tira Hader, who's actually um, Cyan Hader's uh, uh, sister. Actually, she's a she writes children's books now, but she painted these uh, hieroglyph murals with me, and um, I uh, the main hieroglyph was like basically a one that depicted evolution right it was like a ape in 2d standing up into like a human <laughs> and uh, th- then that somehow i figured out i was like that's impossible they didn't have any theories of this how did they know that and then i discovered that within the tomb was like a time travel device um and i it took me back to various ancestors and so it united these weird sketches which were all basically like former bremner's that I would perform, and I performed them and the other people in the scenes with them. And so it united back, and it basically was like me learning who my ancestors were all the way back to, like, cavemen. Um, That's fucking cool. Yeah, and it was, it was actually pretty cool, and it allowed it to be just extremely eclectic. Like, you were able to be, I was able to be, like, two Neanderthals, and I was able to be uh, a guy in, like, 1800s New Orleans, and I was able to be, like, a poacher in Thailand in the 60s. You know, just, like, these are not my literal ancestors. <laughs> Uh, to be clear um but uh, uh and so it was really nuts very a lot of physical comedy like a huge amount i mean i i used to um be a wilderness guide too and i've like you know climbed some mountains done some nothing that impressive but tough stuff like uh mount rainier um mount baker exhausting climbs like after that it's like you'll do a 20 hour climb you'll get up at one in the morning summit go all the way down in the same day you're moving for 20 hours that's a lot at altitude just a lot and after that you're wiped unless you're like a professional mountaineer and I was more tired after doing the solo show than that. That was the amount of energy I was spending, which is also probably a good reason I couldn't be a professional actor doing that every night. Do you have but, this on um, tape, by the way? I know. It's a real shame. I wish we could. I, oh, my God. It was great. Uh, but uh, and anyway, and then, um, or at least I thought it was great. But no, it got, a, it got a, frankly, one of the things that I bring as a writer is a certain belief and understanding I know what works for audiences, and it comes from performing stuff I wrote. That's and awesome. kind of that's knowing, great. oh, that worked and that didn't. And I can never, I have to extrapolate whether that's going to work for everyone everywhere. But generally, it would be like a somewhat eclectic audience, and I would be able to track what what worked and what didn't. Yeah. Um, and and I just, and, and I have that socially too, just like that kind of performative thing. And that's kind of my compass when it comes down to it below all the like, you know, uh, tradecraft of like this is how a story is structured or how you build a character like a lot of it is just that instinct of like this is gonna work and this isn't and i'm not you're never sure but it is that kind of intuition that compass anyway 
I was going to be an actor, and then I graduated. I was like, I can't be an actor. Like, I don't want to audition for a living. Like, I just couldn't do it. I didn't. I, I didn't have the. I don't know if I didn't have the nerve. I didn't have the. I felt like I had to be working. Yeah. And I'd always taken for granted that like there was a play or a sketch to perform, and I was like, I, I really need to be working. And that, auditioning is working. I've seen some great interviews about that. Like, if you can treat it that way, but I had never seen those at the time and was not ready to do it. So I didn't even get my headshots taken. And I was like, I'm going to be a writer. And I was like, I've written sketches and a solo show. I can do this. I'm going to write movies. Um, I love movies. I, I think that I always wanted to be more of a movie actor than a I thought theater I was, actor. Yeah, I, I, I got into this because I loved movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I grew, up, I grew up watching movies. My parents took me to everything from an insane young age, I think. Like I went to I went to like Terminator Two when I was probably like eight. I was just gonna say yeah. that was the first R rated yeah. movie I saw. My dad brought it home. I was seven. My brother was maybe five, and we watched it together on the couch one Saturday afternoon from Blockbuster. I so many Blockbuster things, and I can I was I probably saw R rated movies down to like four or five. Like a lot of the early Arnold stuff. Yeah, Red, we saw Predator, Red Heat, Predator, Commando. I remember having a long <laughs> argument with one of my like kindergarten friends of who is stronger. Arnold Schwarzenegger or Dutch from Predator, and we didn't realize we were talking about the same person. I was on Arnold Schwarzenegger, but yeah. uh, you guys—he defended Dutch. Dutch is Arnold, and Arnold is Dutch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Einhorn. exactly. <laughs> but uh, I was so sure I was right. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I love movies, and that's why I got into it. And then I can—I can remember early days. I moved to New York because Sarah. We were, we met at Brown. Again, Sarah's how I know Matt here, and. Um, she was going to be, she had another year in college. I was like, I'll do this from New York. Again, just horrible young decision-making. I'm glad I lived in New York, but I, that was not the place to go yeah. to like start a career in this business. What did you um, spend that year in New York doing? So I had been a wilderness guide uh, in college. Is that hard to do in Manhattan? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes, yes. <laughs> well, I would, so I would basically, I, owned, I had a, this apartment and I would just leave it for like chunks of time to guide trips. Yeah. But then I would also do like the slideshows and then like sales part of it for the company. And then I was tutoring. And then I realized that was not going to be enough. And so then I got a real estate development job, which I actually enjoyed. Um, and I was like all over the city working with very different people and contractors and, and, and subs and trades on different buildings for this guy that hired me. I don't know why, just because I was reliable. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was the kind of thing you could figure out. It was basically like construction management of various small projects um, and then kind of sitting silently in a bunch of like bigger commercial construction meetings. Um, and I would write every night, actually. I would drink coffee. I would go to a, I would bike to like a coffee shop down on like Bowery or Nolita. I lived in Nolita. And I would uh, write from like 9 p.m. to midnight, almost every weeknight. Um, and I would drink coffee and then I would sleep perfectly and then wake up charged. Like I don't, now I would die. Sit, or yeah, get die. Yeah, nothing or would ever shit the bed. happen. Exactly. Yes. I would shit the bed every night. But, um, it was, and it was kind of like a monastic existence, right? Like I was in a long distance relationship. I had my friends who I saw, but like I was working and I was screenwriting every night. And really what that did was it let me finish two screenplays uh, and, and have a, the first screenplay I wrote, I don't know that I finished and it was too terrible. I think it was called Filth and Glory in New York City. That was my first, first idea. Foray. Yeah, that was my first idea. It was kind of like about Dash Snow, but I didn't know much about Dash mm -hmm. Snow, who was like a street yep. artist. Yep. Um, and it was about a guy who was trying to like one up Dash Snow, feeling like he didn't know how to fit into this very rich city where it's like they're celebrating the kind of like desecration of it. You yeah, know, like he's he would like blood come, and on, come on a yes. come on a skull or a 
painting or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, and so this guy was like trying to defile New York monuments to gain his, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. It was unreadable. <laughs> I don't even know where those pages are. Then I wrote a script called The the Jeweled Baton of Ermin Goering, which the Nazis had a lot of like very regal, colorful shit. Um, and he, Goering has like, had like a bejeweled, like uh, air marshal baton, which I just found. And it was like going to be my access into like the, telling a story about the Nazis, which I'm, you know, internally fascinated with Me all too. the costs and we all can, that. Dude, same. We can do a whole... <clears throat> we'll do a, a solid 10 minutes yeah, on it. Talking I've, Holocaust. I've got a lot to Me say too. about it. Me too. And I've worked on movies on it um, a little. This was my first. And I was like, I want to kind of capture, like, this sort of berserk, bizarre... Now that I'm pitching you this, I think I might be finally ready to do this. But, like, let's, let's, a dude. lot of these guys were on, like, speed and crazy drugs. Like, there's Hitler and that's... It's all ultra dark, but like there were some very odd characters who could be pilloried in their interesting, like, so Gehring and some of these early Nazis were like rich and like drug addicts and were like stealing the art and hanging it and were wearing like bejeweled daggers and very weird costumes and like constantly on like, you know, amphetamines and crazy drugs where they're all hopped up and like building this war machine. And obviously they're part of like the greatest, some of the greatest evil of the 20th century, yeah. but like just insane characters that are almost um, unbelievable within that and frankly do have allegories to today and the kind of crazy clownery that you see around yeah. some fascism today. Yeah. So so it's it's it, there there is like an interesting story to be told. I don't know what it is. It's probably just like the demise of, or I, I don't know what that story is yet, but basically I wanted to do it. I didn't know then either. And uh, <laughs> this, so is your another... fable, this is your Fablemans and you need Tony Kushner. Yeah, I really do. Like. I really do. Um, <laughs> Uh, Tony, if you hear yeah, this, give Tony me a call. Kush. Um, but uh, Shouts. you're gonna like this, Tony. Um, I got a pitch for you. He might like it. I would. Have, I have an angle for you, Tony. Can if we you get to get him? This. Yeah, I think we could get okay, to Tony. Okay. But um, but we'd have to be sure he would like it. Yeah, you don't make that call. Yeah, no, and yeah, right. Fly to New York, or whatever, and then be like, yeah. "Well, we're thinking about this mm-hmm. general Herman Gehring thing. Did you know he was on speed? Okay, <laughs> go on. Um, but uh, say less. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that, I didn't finish. And then the first script I wrote, and I actually still would recommend this to an aspiring young writer, was I really had no, I realized I had no idea what I was doing, which is the first important thing is like being able to realize when you're doing something good and when you're some, not. Yeah. So many writers I find waste a lot of time believing something is, wanting to believe something good. It's very natural. I do it all the time. But the quicker you can move into realizing whether it's actually good, the more you will benefit. Isn't there like that Ira Glass quote about like, you know, the first thing you make, you have such great taste from, you know, watching stuff, but you don't know how to put that into what you make until you made a bunch of bad shit. There's some quote that basically sums up what you're saying. But A hundred percent. And by the way, it remains true even when you're good. Like you have to know, eventually, hopefully you don't make the bad choices. You've learned to make fewer bad choices. It's like your talent and your tastes are not at the same place yet. A hundred percent. And that probably is the most disorienting thing for a writer or I think a creative, right? Like, so I'm like, that is such a well, that's so well put. There's a lot of great taste out there. And a lot of people have a lot of conviction based on their taste. And you actually do need great taste. Like great taste is probably half of being good at it. But the other half is a different thing. And until you have it, that taste will not get you there. And and your taste is warped looking at your own thing because you're able to picture it with such nuance. And I think it's very hard to realize what you've actually put out for on the paper, right? Is like, and what is in your head. Yeah. So like there's a lot of talent out there or a good taste, 
that is not framed properly. Yeah. And so it's it's yet to look like talented work. Anyway, that was definitely the case for me back then and still sometimes today, but uh, <laughs> definitely back then. In fact, I think it was a huge thing. I thought, I think I do have, everybody thinks they have good taste, but I was like, I have good taste. I really believe in it, but I did not have the storytelling skills in particular. Um, You're wearing a Speedmaster, which is my favorite watch, which was the first watch worn on the moon. So yeah, you have good taste. Oh, thanks. You're this welcome. is a 1968 pre-moon Speedmaster. I'm very is it into really watches. Yeah, it's pre-moon. It's in such good condition because when I saw it, I was like, that must be I, that must be like a 2010. No, no. This is a 68. Where did you even find a pre-moon watch like that? I'm super into watches, which is one of the things I use. This is really all over, but I want to get no, back. No, dude, but, this is what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But basically, I came out to Los Angeles with... Um, two screenplays that no one wanted to read, and that was fine. You know what? The, the, the important thing was that I had finished yes. two screenplays. Yeah. And by the way, like, I don't know what your listening base is, but without a doubt, the entry to being a writer is having written, yeah. right? Period. Like, anybody can be a writer, and but you have to have written something. Bill and Lawrence in, once told yeah. us on Undateable that uh, if you finish a script, you're ahead of 70% of all the people in LA that say they want to be a writer because you actually finished something. So 100%. that's step number one. So step number one, and it's amazing how that's get lost, but that is like having something bad that's done is way better than having 10 pages of something that seemed perfect. Yeah. That's 10 pages. No one can do anything with that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and, and what I was I was trying to say was I to teach myself a little bit about structure and storytelling, I adapted Tom Sawyer was my first. I had a weird take on Tom Sawyer. It's called The Adventures of Large Tom Sawyer. And it basically my dream world, Will Ferrell and Owen Wilson, this was, you know, back in 2007, yeah. would play Tom and Huck and like Reese Witherspoon or something would pay, play Becky, their like love interest. And then all real little children would play all the other roles and That's adults great. would play adults. And and I was like, it it's weirdly like coming of age. So it'd be almost like a, almost like a surreal experience of like, they would be playing children, yeah. but as adults, yeah. right? And there's just no explanation for it or what at all. And because that book is so, that book has like an attempted rape and like a murder. It's a crazy book. Um, and it's also has like, it's kind of cinematic. It's like five page chapters and there's yeah. like set pieces and it's like the paint the fence one and the thing and the thing and the thing. And then, um, and so I was like, you can't directly adapt it, but I was like, here's a story told and I'm going to make it mine. So, um. I didn't use any of its dialogue or anything like that, and I made it weird. And I wasn't really telling that story. I was just like, here's a crazy yeah. story. I used the basic things of Aunt Polly and the cave and the murder and the thing. And um, I think it was actually pretty readable. Like, I think it was fun. I mean, people did read it and kind of like it. They were like, and but it more than anything, it just taught me how to tell a story a little bit. Um, and then I wrote like a really serious, violent Western called Travis Travis. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, very weird probably terrible um it was about like a it was basically about the oregon trail after the civil war like it had gone um kind of quiet during the civil war people were like moving west and then they kind of like stopped traveling during the civil, and then they picked it back up so it's like about a family that's looking to resettle and they end up right basically riding into like an american heart of darkness and it's basically like what was happening what the government was doing to native populations and you know the upper platte river was kind of like was like a absolutely insane heart of darkness level thing of like genocide and crazy yeah. just like descent into darkness so they basically encounter on the oregon trail this like american colonel like a kurtz figure um, it was cool. I actually think that movie still could work, but I was not talented enough or skilled enough to write it at the time. So it was like these five brothers, most of them die. They discover how terrible it all is. But you know, it's like, I didn't, 
I don't, it sounds yeah. pretty epic. It, it though, was too. cool. Yeah, no, I had, you know, at that point, because like, again, I, I liked comedy. Like I loved like a Will Ferrell comedy back in those days or like yeah. a Ben Stiller comedy. And then I also loved like um, epic action movies, right? Yeah. I, Last of the Mohicans was probably my favorite movie growing up. Uh, Gladiator, Braveheart. These were like the movies that I grew up on. I mean, I liked many other Did you like movies. Apocalypto? I actually did like Apocalypto. It's, I think that's an incredible it's movie. It's badass. Um, it really is. Um, and so I thought I could write one, and I'm pretty good at action. I now get paid to do that a lot. And back then, I was good, too. And I um, I wasn't good yet to tell a story. Like, I didn't know how to use it. But I, there are these amazing scenes in that of, like, a covered wagon action sequence where, like, they're raising the canvas up really quick to, like, pop out an ambush and then lowering it really fast or, like, what a, they, like create a wagon circle like almost like trap where like people penetrate the wagon circle and then you know because it's like the cartoon of like the covered wagon circling up and i'm like i'm taking that iconic image and then i'm going to use it in a way you've never seen and they lure the u.s colonel kurtz guy inside and then they've there's nobody in there and then they lift the canvases up and they've got like they've stolen their gatling gun and they mow them down into really cool that's fucking cool and there was another really cool action sequence where i made i mean to me action's always best when you understand granularly what the physical challenges are, right? So like in Last of the Mohicans, for instance, some of the quality action in that is like Hawkeye is just like snipering for a messenger to run through a territory. And like, it's just hard to aim a gun and it's hard to load a gun. And so one of the things was like these brothers jumped on this, they like unhitched a wagon team of horses and they were all loading the rifles for the one brother who was a good wow they're riding on this like tank of horses across the plains trying to like intercept a raiding party and and you're watching them kind of like toss the rifles around these moving horses as their one guy's loading and another guy's handing it another guy's bracing him so you're really understanding saving private ryan did that extremely well you know it's like this is what it takes to flank this and you need to do this and you just bring the audience into an understanding of what the challenges are rather than just like bigger explosions and sillier stunts um, but again, that script really sucked. Um, <laughs> and so I came out and I really did not yet know what I was doing, but, uh, this guy, Jeremy Gerlich, who had just written a draft of the hangover, he didn't end up getting credit, but he and Todd Phillips really rewrote that movie that Lucas and Moore wrote. Um, that it was a big hit and he was, his business was growing a lot and he had written the breakup. That was like yeah. his big credit, um, with Jay Lavender, who I didn't really know they had separated as a writing team and he was looking for just people and to work with him, you know, to kind of like creative brains. Uh, he had an assistant, but he had like a couple guys around who were kind of like his crew, right? And uh, so I was basically started an intern. I would sit in on brainstorm meetings. I would transcribe them. I would organize the transcription, which was, again, kind of learning scene work and things yeah. like that. I would start to participate in them. And I was with Jeremy for five years, and that was basically my only job. So I was very lucky in that sense of like, I didn't, I was ready to be, to do whatever it took while I was writing my screenplays and trying to get my agent and make my sale, which was how I understood the business to work at that time. And, but I was kind of getting paid to be like part of the writing process from pretty much my first year out here. That's amazing. Yeah, it was very lucky. Fuck. And basically, ultimately, you know, it would be like, take a pass at this or take a pass at that or work on this. And ultimately my job became like sitting in a chair and being creative for nine hours a day, five days a week, 10 hours a day. That discipline was like invaluable right it was just like yeah because when you show up it was like all right well now it's time to start on x or y and it's, it wasn't even like it wasn't i wasn't in control but it was like you know it was probably like being in a writer's room yeah. television i haven't been in one um or certain aspects of it were but 
it was extremely good. It was basically like my grad school in screenwriting was working for him. And I got to work. I got to see all the notes on all of his movies. He had, you know, he had movies at every studio. Yeah. And then we'd, I'd see the product, how he, you know, this is the producer's pass. This is what the studio wants. That, you know, and, and I really got to see, and he was trying to be a director then. He ultimately, right as he kind of directed his first feature, which was The Wedding, Wedding Ringer. Ringer. Yeah, with Kevin Hart and Josh Gad. I worked on that. I guess I got an associate producer on that, but I didn't write that script. That script was a script he wrote like 14 years, years earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, then I actually had enough. I was always working on my own stuff on the side, but frankly, I think enough of my creative brain was being used in kind of his camp that I felt like my scripts in that zone, even though they were, I was learning by failing, they weren't that great. I was kind of emulating his tone, which was kind of like a true kind of raunchy comedy tone of like the you know mid 2010s right yeah. that was a thing and he, he was good at it and i wasn't who i was um but i didn't know that yet i was that's what i was kind of doing all day so i was kind of trying to emulate that in the morning and now i moved to working in the morning rather than the night but it was not as productive for me i try to get up at like five and then i would be asleep until six and then i would like write for half an hour and make a coffee it was slow going yeah yeah it was not well organized but i was too tired and zapped by the end of the day to do it um and I would try to use the weekends. And then uh, <clears throat> I got, and I did get an agent through that process. Like, and it usually was in like the fallow period of like, we're doing something else or we're kind of working on something else. And so I, my brain had like a time to rest. When you got that agent or how did you get your first yeah, agent? Yeah. So, so many people want to know that. Yeah. It's, it is important, but it's not quite as important as you think. Yeah. You, but I think having something finished is much more important than way having more, an agent. Yeah. Way more. Um, so I wrote, uh, what was it? Okay, yeah, I finally wrote what I would say was the best version of that kind of comedic tone. Like, here's a high concept comedy. What if blah blah blah? And um, it was called Second Impression, and it was basically about a guy who got caught doing something terrible, and his like method of getting out of it was to claim it happened in front of somebody he wanted to impress, and it was a love interest. Was basically to be like, come up to her the next day and be like, I'm sorry, that was my twin brother, and. I'm so sorry. He's like off. And then he didn't have a twin Keep brother. The <laughs> yeah. And then he had to be him and his weird twin brother. But that twin brother had later that like he had somebody else had met that that version of him. I can't remember how I worked it out. But like so like for the job thing, he had to be the weird guy. But for the girl, he had to be himself. And he's always managing a fake version of himself and himself as twins. The That's whole movie is called Second Impression. It was fun. I was like, yes, I did it. I hadn't done it, but, uh, but it was enough that like Jeremy was like, cause he would read my stuff and usually he'd be like, he'd be very honest. He'd be like, this is just not ready. Like I can help you, but you're something key is missing to this ever being interesting to anybody. And it wasn't usually that it wasn't funny. It'd be like, I don't know what the main character wants or it doesn't feel real at all. I don't understand the tone or what is this movie? But it usually had to do with the main character and what they wanted. It's amazing how often that can get lost trying to do other shit in a movie. Um, this one seemed clear enough. Anyway, then I had also sent it to my buddy who is a very big agent now, but I went to grade school with him. His name is Roger Green, mm-hmm. WME. And yeah. uh, he read it and liked it. And he's like, oh, let's talk. And then Jeremy was like, oh, well, let me send it to UTA too, which is where he is. And then you, then we, I think we also called CA or whatever. So it was like those three. That's and then cool. UTA ended up seeming the most interested in me. And it was a guy named Emerson Davis who mm-hmm. still represents me and is great. Um, and Carolyn Civitz is also on my team there. And at the time it was also, uh, Ben Jacobson, but he's gone on to become like a 
uh, his own entity. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he was in television. But or no, actually, it was somebody else before then. Uh, but anyway, the point is, Emerson really was the one who was like, "I see something in you. I'll sign you." And then I was like, "Yes." So how are we selling it? And he was like, "Oh, we can't sell this." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." And he's like, yeah, yeah, what else do you have? And so he really was signing me for my voice. But I have to say, he really did um, give me his time and his, like, responses to a lot of my ideas, which I still am grateful for. Like, he really did pay attention to me before I made him any money. Um, And, yeah, and so now I had an agent, which helps. But at the same time, nobody was going to hire me. Uh, And this was 2011, maybe? Yeah. I was like, nobody's going to hire me. No, I had a, nobody's going to buy anything from me. But I did get a couple of meetings. I'm getting you to how I got my first I'm, gig. So, I'm all good. This, yeah, yeah. I'm just... I'm just uh, I don't know what time it is. Dude, yeah. Yeah, this okay. is what I want to hear. All right, sweet. So, so basically, it turned out... And this was actually, I think, Carolyn's client. But a guy named Clay Weiner, who's a commercial director, had a movie idea called Commodore 64, which was like the old console. Yeah, I never had one. Me he, either. He's a little older than me. But it was like... You know, we probably had Nintendo yeah. 8-bit or whatever, yeah. um, he, NES. He had a Commodore 64. So it was a nostalgic spot for him. He was visually great. He had built this beautiful deck that almost, this was before Stranger Things or anything like that, but it was like kind of that Amblin tone of like kids at an army base find this Commodore 64, but that actually like has, I can't even remember it fully, but it had like powers and was able to somehow manifest certain aspects of the game with like weird tech right so they were basically discovered this like treasure trove of dangerous tech it felt i think chronicle probably came out around then yeah these kids were probably maybe a hair younger it had a little bit more of an amblin than like a more dark tone yeah. but um and anyway he had this script i don't remember i think he'd written it but he would tell you he's not a writer so they needed a writer it was set up at Montecito, which was Ivan Reitman's yep, company. And Allie Bell. Allie time. Bell and Al- Alex Plappinger. Alex Plappinger. Yeah, they were my Shouts. guys. And um, they were like, basically, I took a meeting when they liked me. They didn't have any money, but it basically was like, you'll rewrite this. So it was a non-paying rewrite, but in success, I would sell it. But it was my first time I would have been, quote unquote, hired. I was not hired for money, but I was brought on to a real company engaged and enga- yeah. i was engaged and I, and I now a director was texting me his notes and i was taking notes from these executives and going to their offices and jeremy knew and was supportive of this and i was doing this in probably 2012 13 yeah um and yeah and i was writing and i was rewriting it the truth is a tough movie in some ways it became it led to a different movie called played which was essentially like a grand theft auto get sucks you in Mm. before jumanji yeah and basically a couple of teenagers got sucked into grand theft auto and it became like an over-the-top violent (laughs) world that you know and um so somehow commodore 64 evolved into that we never sold any of that um but it just had me in the room with all these people who had careers and were working and i remember one weekend i pitched a an idea of a basically a television show uh, to Alex Plappinger. And he was like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. And I wrote that pilot over the weekend. Um, and it was called Easy Eddie Bourbon Bayou P.I. And it was basically <laughs> like Law & Order SVU meets The Adventures of Bayou Billy from Nintendo Entertainment System. Basically just like a Cajun Lord Byron crazy but like dark sex crime Comedic procedural. It was a little bit I'm archer. Imagining like Dr. John meets McNulty. In like yeah, some it sort had of... archer tones, but it was w- very intense. Um, 
this guy would like fall in love with all of the like relatives of the victims very inappropriately. <laughs> it was very, very intense. The pilot was called Snake Pinata and like an 11 year old girl birthday party. They like whacked it open and like water moccasins that had been being whacked came out all over these girls. And then one was kidnapped. It was like a crazy, crazy <laughs> show. But it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, I would stand by that one. That was good. And we sold it to FX. No or, shit. It was FXX. But basically, we got two meetings. Alex is like, let's take this out. And we took to Comedy Central and FXX. And FXX bought it. Kate Lambert and um, Kevin Wandell. Did you shit your pants? Yeah, that was a big day. That was like, we didn't sell it in the room, but they were like, we want to have another conversation. Then I can remember being at the Montecito office and we sold it on the phone on the follow-up call. And it was like, holy shit, I sold a... Show. When it you was say like, you sold it on the phone, like what what did they like you were like and they asked you questions, you apparently answered them correctly, and then they said Yeah, well, guys, we're excited to do this. That's yeah, amazing. something like that. And basically it was they and then had, you had to keep your cool. Yeah. No, I was yeah, weirdly, I'm still waiting for that like yes, like fist pump moment <laughs> that I'm like waiting for it all to hit you at once on that level. I still have never gone yes like mm. that, but close. But this was definitely that moment. It just felt like it hit it was like, I knew I had a good first meeting. And then we had this call and I was like, wait, did that just happen? And uh, uh, so, but you so, did it, but I did it. And that was really first blood. And that was, it, it made all the difference, right? It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't have predicted. I had written only movies up until that time. I'd never written a show. I had never written an animated show. I had failed in so many different directions. And it just was like right room, right executive, right time, cheap because I an animated show from an unknown writer was not going to be expensive, and like so they could take a swing at me, and we hit it, and and we made contact, and it was just uh, awesome. And then, but basically, they didn't want the pilot. They're like rewrite the pilot, like basically, like we'll have notes. And so I didn't tell the pilot. I more sold a pitch of the mm. pilot, and then we created the show, and or like created the pilot, the show bible, whatever. Didn't go forward. But they were happy. Like it was a win because they were like, "Our we door would, is open. We would love to work with you again." Yeah, and I was like, "Great." Um, at the same, about a couple months later, and then it was like, and I've once you've had some success, I've at least found it. it, it you can leverage it for other success, right? It's 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 just that unfortunate catch twenty two of almost things like, "How do you get an agent?" Well, yeah. it takes an agent. How do you get a thing? Well, you get a thing. Um, it's like, oh, okay, I have proven at this other company that exactly. you can trust me with. Uh, writing a pilot for right. whatever that costs and right. I can do it for you because I did it for them and they like me and they you know, won't, 100%. you know, yeah. and if you call them and ask, they'll say he was great. Exactly. So that allowed my friend Noah Oppenheim, who is a writer I've gangster. worked with a, f a few times and yes, a he real wrote gangster. He did write yeah. Jackie. He wrote Jackie in like three weeks and he started being a screenwriter after me and he was like, I think I'm going to write a screenplay and I'm like, all right, man, good luck. I knew, I knew how hard it was and he was like, he's like, I've got the script now, Jackie. I'm meeting with Steven Spielberg and I was like, whoa. Holy yeah, shit, that guy dude. just very great at what he anything he does, but um, he had this idea for like a biblical epic version of the Book of Joshua that Amazon maybe was interested in, and he was like, "Do you want to do it with me?" Because I know a lot about um, Judaism history. and history, and uh, he knew my writing, but like, I don't think he could have offered me that if I hadn't sold my own show. But then I, now that I had, I was it was like, "Great, come be my partner." And we sold that to Amazon. So all of a sudden I was like, I'd sold two shows. And that was the moment when Jeremy's like, you probably should not, you're probably done. I had still been working with Jeremy, which I, by the way, I would I would made sense. Like just because yeah. you've sold one thing is not the time to hang totally. up your day job. No. Um, it doesn't mean the next thing's going to happen. The money goes quick. There's taxes. Like it was not like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but with two, Jeremy was like, I think you're on your way. You should probably stop working for me, which was very kind of him. And then 
he turned around and hired me to, you know, I'd been working with him yeah. pretty closely at that point. He's like, why don't you, we were working on this movie Sick Day with Johnny Knoxville starring. And I you know, knew Johnny and Jeremy and the project really well. So he's like, why don't you come do a rewrite of that for me? And I knew the people to imagine and that he was doing it with. Um, and so suddenly I had a feature gig too. Incredible. So all of a sudden I had a great year. That's amazing. And then, and then the thing, but that was sort of like, that was all kind of like the first, and that was all great. And those all went great, but didn't get made. But, yeah. you know, I got a couple steps on all of them and they all went well. I was having meetings, but again, I wouldn't say I had the thing that yet really uh, like launched my career. Yeah. And that was when I got a call from a guy named Josh Feldman, who was a buddy of mine who worked at Hasbro at the time. And Brian Goldner, who passed away recently, very sadly, um, but was the CEO of Hasbro, right? I didn't know any of these, either of these fellows. Yeah, so Brian was the coolest. Um, and this is a guy that was, you know, he was a corporate CEO, right? Total suit. He was the head of that corporation, you know, business guy. Yeah. But he was also one of the guys that was really behind all the push into Transformers and, you know, product into the entertainment space. But he had this passion project of his own through somebody he knew that was like a true crime comedy, kind of like uh, it was American Hustle before American Hustle or uh, one of those, right? It yeah. was it was a funny, true crime story that he had the life rights to of this guy. And he was looking for a writer, and I guess Josh had read Easy Eddie Bourbon and liked it, and he was like, you know, Brian was paying out of his own pocket, basically, so it wasn't they couldn't afford, like, some giant writer. So they're yeah. like, well, what about this guy, Chris? And I, was, I, read, I heard this story, and I was like, yeah, I'm in. So I ended up flying to Rhode Island, where this guy lives, um, and met with him and the guy whose life rights it was. And that became this script called Blackfriars. And it's basically the true story of the Blackfriars massacre in 1978. Um, a whole bar basement was shot up. It was unclear who did it. It was the mafia or whatever. There was one kind of eyewitness who they thought they could, you know, get to a conviction with. And so the Boston DA sent him to Bermuda with like a one cop to basically be in witness protection while trial was waiting. You couldn't take guns into Bermuda. This is weird. This is all true. Yeah. This guy ended up living, his name was Bobby Zachary. And this guy, Walter Robinson, was the guy whose life rights we had. And this cop who's awesome, just an amazing storyteller, was a Boston cop. But uh, he was like responsible for this guy. And this guy was just insane. Like this guy, he claimed to be the lead singer or the lead guitarist for the band Boston. And like, you know where you could check it. So he was just like moving around Bermuda as like a, and they had put him up in this like crazy hotel. Anyway, this guy ended up totally disappearing, like rabbiting on the prosecution. But he was like, it was like the greatest case of fraud against the Boston DA in history. But it was, it was just a, it was a great odd pairing of two characters. And I wrote it well. And I, I took a totally different approach than I'd ever taken. I think I felt the liberty to do that because I was like, this is not a pure comedy or a pure drama. It was like just right in the middle, which again is kind of, I haven't said this, but is kind of what my favorite thing, right? It's that Scorsese tone. It's the Sopranos tone, which is yeah. just to me real right yeah. it's like every, it's funny, funny and, and dramatic and yeah, that's and just, yeah that's life that's the way i want to be entertained um and that one was really sharp and that one got a lot of attention and got on the blacklist and so that was really what became my um calling calling card. card and got me introduced to everybody that movie's still they're still trying to make it like different cast have come on and off and on and off jeremy garlic was attached for a while to direct it that's how i met will gluck who i work with a lot he was the first director attached to make it. Uh, Lee Tolan Krieger was going to make Jesus it for a while. Christ. Um, different actors, you know, tons of different actors have come and go. It's a good one. It's hard for me to say why that movie should exist now in the market, but like it doesn't have quite that like 
other than just being a good story, yeah. I, I, like the why now of it, I'm not sure is, has ever been. Le- Leslie Linka Gladder was going to direct the movie. I mean, literally, it was like just I took uh, Carrie Scogland, you know, just like an amazing variety of wow. directors have come onto that movie. But there's something in it that people are attracted to still. Um, so that kind of launched me. And then there was like, I'll let you ask some questions, but there were then that, so that was like the first thing that then led to a few more, but nothing quite big yet. I can't, I've probably forgotten a few of the gigs I got off of that, but the major next one I got was this thing called the King of LA, which I loved. And it's probably the script I think in some ways is would make the best movie of everything I've ever written. It was also on the blacklist. Another true crime story, a guy, Julius Avery had gotten the rights. He, a director and he brought it to me and it was scot free. I wrote it with them. I sold it to, we sold it to Paramount actually. So we, we, we had a pitch, we sold it to Paramount and it, they could not close the, the life rights. So it just kind of, but I, they had told me to start writing. So I had been writing. They, so did I ended they pay up, you? No, I never got paid. So I wrote a whole movie and never got paid. I learned that lesson early and oh now I don't start God. until you get the check. They kind of made it good. I ended up working on it. They bought a different movie from me a year later. That's it's nice fine. And I got, I made sure that I crushed the script and then it got on the blacklist too. And it, so it became a call. It advanced my career, even if it wasn't, if I wasn't financially compensated for it. And it, had more robust action. It was another action comedy, but like a crazy, crazy story. This guy, Darnell Garcia, he also had an incredible story, but it was like he was accused of being the biggest traitor to the DEA in the 1980s of all time. And he he was a world karate champion and an author and like a, a pupil of Chuck Norris and Nancy Reagan wanted him dead. She was the bad guy in the movie. It was amazing. So um, it was just a great, <laughs> crazy movie. Um, didn't Again, didn't get made, never going to get made, but... It was a cool experience, and um, Darnell was a very interesting guy. And anyway, but that then I'll let people kind of know that I could do the sort of action thing, and then I'm basically building you to where my career is at now. And so that then put me on. I came back to Noah. Noah had gone to like work at NBC News, which he ended up being the president of for a while. He was busy, and he had this Houdini script with Dan Trachtenberg and Frank Marshall. You know the legendary Frank he Marshall across the street. Houdini. Oh, yes, he did. And um, Bruce Cohen, you know, two like legend producers, a really talented action director. It was set up at Lionsgate at the time. And Noah really didn't have time to do a full rewrite on it. So he's like, well, what if we got Chris? And they're like, great. And I went and met there, uh, Eric Feig, Peter Kang, uh, the whole team there, whatever. But And I brought like a very signature action thing with Noah to it. That script, we did a great job on. It didn't end up going forward there for whatever reason, but that and then the awareness that I was on a studio project like that started putting me on the radar of the Bruckheimers and their companies of the world. Um, and so I, there was this sort of critical push maybe back in like 2016 where I started getting the big commercial jobs, right? I got a Houdini job. I got a Mobile Armored Strike Command job for Hasbro because it was kind of like they had yep. always been looking for the right thing for me and F. Gary Gray was going to direct that. Um I had sold a, a a movie that I can't believe they bought, but with uh, Pearl Street and it was Jen Todd and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. It was like a detective history movie kind of based on the Blackfriars thing. So I, I had this like kind of critical mass of different things going. And then that was like, I got the meeting with Melissa Reed and Chad Oman for, at Bruckheimer. And that really was like, in that meeting, they were going to pitch me National Treasure 3, but then they're like, or I think they were going to pitch me Bad Boys 3. But then National Treasure came up, and they're like, oh, you could actually be good at National Treasure 3. And they're like, what about both? 
and ended up getting both jobs. Oh my god! And that, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, and I can explain how that happened, but basically, then it was like, oh whoa, that felt like oh I've arrived, and it, it didn't happen over. It was just like now I've got five movies. Uh, Here's my question though, yeah. Chris. Wait, hold on. Did you like? When they say we oh what about National Treasure? What about Bad Boys? Did you have to go away and then be like, here, here's what I'm thinking. Like, uh, here's a whole fucking pitch. Like, what did you? What was the actual thing that you delivered them? Where they were like, aside from like pre liking you and liking your material, what was the take that you brought them? Right. Or how did you conceive of like this is what we're gonna do? I cracked it. Well, okay. So for National Treasure, both of these were rewrites um, to some degree. Yeah, so I'm they, sure Bad Boys had a bunch yeah, they of had stuff. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. Know. Yeah, and a, a ton of stuff and some good stuff. I think what they saw with me was that I was very good at brainstorming in the room. So, and my general tactic is try out a brainstorm. I'm never like, I would love that. Let me think about it. I'm always immediately try it out with them just to see no matter what the meeting is, even if I'm not interested, frankly, I will do that to kind of see if anything sticks for me or for them. And I think they quickly saw I had some very sharp instincts about the kinds of things those franchises needed. For instance, National Treasure 3 at that time was like monolithically white. Um, it's a movie from the mid-2000s. So yeah. like you need to diversify. We need to bring in a character with a point of view that is not a white male or female, frankly, European white female. She's German, but whatever. Yeah. But like about our founding fathers. Like how much of our, yes, those movies are in some way are a love letter to the genius of the American system and some of the, thoughts of our founding fathers but like there was a lot of other stuff going on yeah. slavery horrible yeah. inequality i was like we need to find a very no, not not the woke shove it down your throat way but just like american history is a lot more complicated than that and its treasure is a lot more complicated than that and how do we figure out how to frame that in a way for all audiences as a disney movie that's really smart and it was yeah it was fun i actually remember and then of course the other thing i'm kind of remembering it prior to that even though i mean i was doing it at the same time but i was like this has been always a domestic movie and at that time it was really before disney plus had launched i was like this needs to work internationally it needs to be international treasure that was my first pitch then it kind of shifted to uh, in addition to that um they were always part and parcel of the same idea but it kind of took that from being the commercial central focus of it to more of like the let's also examine the other side of history yeah right um, that movie is an enormously challenging movie to work on, without a doubt, the most challenging. I can explain that separately, but that that but so again, it was a long time before I went into Disney, and I think Tendo Nagenda was the one that yeah. ultimately hired me there before he went on to Netflix. But and then Sam Dickerman took over, and mm-hmm. but I was working on that movie for like four years. But it was my ability to spitball, and and for for a little while I was looking at uh. 1848 and the Mexican-American War and what was stolen from Mexico and, you know, and that legacy. And then it moved back to the East Coast and then it went, but so I was, but the whole time I had a sense, I also had a sense of where I thought that the um, Nick Cage character, like I was like, I, so I had my two, but I I came in with a point of view on where that character is, um, which I won't say now, but hopefully that'll be in the movie. But it's, you know, it's like, it was basically like, it's been a while. What has he been up to? It needs an original, interesting thing. We don't want to just pick back up and it should be something that, feels fresh. So I had an interesting thing there. I had an interesting way to expand the ensemble and I had an interesting idea for the kind of history it should deal with. They That will allow a company to know if they're dealing with somebody they want to work with. And so that was enough. I pitched Jerry. He liked it. Then I worked on it forever, probably six months with Melissa and Chad. 
finally we took it to Disney. They were like, great. Then I started writing it. Then literally the world changed twice. I mean, I remember even when I got the job, the prior script had been about the stakes of it was the integrity of the U.S. presidency. Oh, my God. That script had been written prior to Donald Trump <laughs> yeah. being elected. Not that there's... I was literally like, this is incoherent. I don't... <laughs> this is, makes no sense. Like, <laughs> it was like, if if this is discovered, the integrity of the U.S. presidency will be destroyed. I'm like, that... Also at the time, yeah, it's like, yeah. nobody wants yeah, to protect yeah, the yeah. pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like nobody wants I was like, to so you got to start over there. So anyway... But I again, I had smart reactions, and it was the same thing. And that movie hopefully will get made, and has been progressing steadily. I yeah. would say yeah. the whole time I was working on it, but I'm not sure where it is now. I'm not working on it anymore. But it's it was on its way, and it continued to change with, frankly, the times and demands of both where the storytelling was and what's going on in the world. Eventually, it'll hopefully find its way. Um, Bad Boys happened faster. Um, that had been in development since Bad Boys 2 for so long. And uh, there was a good script, a really good script by, uh, well, a ton of people. But Joe Carnahan, I think, was pretty much the person who was, like, spearheading that before I came on. Um, Anthony Tabakis, um, David Guggenheim. Uh, some people were credited, some weren't. I ended up rewriting all of it, but a lot of the... Uh, Peter Craig wrote, the I think, yeah. the first draft of it. Um, but, like, I really do view these things as, like, it was involved, you know, everybody worked on it yeah. and it's a product of all that. I did work on it for years and I, I, uh, arbitration's always, up. I wish everybody could get credit. And then of course I wish I could only get credit. And it's one of those things, but yes, a lot of talented people worked on it. I inherited a lot of great work. I think Will in particular felt like we're not quite there with how to wrap it up. Like, where is this going? Um, really like third act issue. So originally I was brought on really to just like figure out how to finish the movie right for his character and then you know everything involved in that and he was so but basically i got the job by in a little bit of a bake-off i think there were probably four other writers ish that's what i was told i was pitching it to at that point really chad omen and doug belgrad and melissa reed and sophie cassidy that was like 2.0 and bruckheimer and then they kind of ended up choosing me and that was just like i think i worked I was funny. I was chill to work with. I was cool. I listened to the notes. I came up with creative solutions. I wasn't precious. I spoke the tone of the movie. They didn't really know how much. Uh, now I would say there's no one in the world who has the tone of Bad Boys more in their brain than me. I've written thousands of Bad Boys material. What do we think? Is there um, a way you could you describe like what you think the Bad Boys tone is? Or is that just like a crazy question? Uh, let me come back to okay. it. Uh, yeah, okay. I probably could, but it won't be complete. It okay. is kind of just like a. I could give you yes or no answers. Yeah, of it's what like belongs, you know how in, but like, in Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon's like Mozart just looks at a piano and fucking sees music. Yeah, <laughs> You're yeah. like I, I look at a blank final draft page and just just see, see bad, bad boys. boys. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And literally, you could just show me like they could say things. I'm like, use that, don't use that, use that, don't use that. But um, it's just because of the amount of time I've spent with it. But um, but yeah. So then they put me in front of Jerry. Jerry was like great, and then I pitched Will, and jo Will liked it. When you pitched Jerry and Will, is that in person or on Zoom? Given the world we were living in, so it was this was all before that. So I oh, pitched cool. them in 2016. Okay. So cool. yeah. So it takes this took a while. So I I got the job in 2016. I think I turned in the draft that got greenlit in 2017. Then it filmed in 2018. Came out at 2018, edited, and then it must have come out. What am I, am I? My timeline mixed up. No, it must have. Yeah, it filmed in twenty eighteen. No, nineteen. 
I'm confused. And then it came out January 2020. So basically, it must have filmed 2018, 2019. That's what it was. Got it. But I know I turned in a draft of it from the hospital when my first daughter was born. Oh my God. And I'm pretty sure that was the green light draft. I think that's what it was. They That ended up getting greenlit, but then it took like six months for everyone to like get back to it. So I went back to work on it in like spring of 2018, and we filmed it. That's right. Winter of 2019 and then it came out winter of 2020 when you found when you um, how did you find out you were the chosen like when you did the bake-off when, when did you where were you when you got the call of like guess what motherfucker you're writing bad boys i think i was at toast on third street no way eating alone shut the fuck yeah up. and i think it might have been my birthday or it was right around my birthday which was a great i was like whoa nice um i don't i'll fucking say yeah yeah um but who calls you that your reps i think it was my reps but i can't remember Okay. Um, I cannot remember. You probably black. But at out. that point, I think I was exactly at that point. I once I was pitching Will and Jerry, I kind of it was again. It was like one of those things of like I don't think they were putting multiple people in front of yeah, them at that point. Lose. So it was like I felt like oh this is good, like you know. And then little did I know I could have been like fired and crushed at any moment. But um, and yeah, and that was the beginning of two very important relationships in my career. I mean, many more than two, but. Chad and Doug and Melissa and Sophie, but also Jerry, obviously, and Will. Uh, and I, they know I'm good to work with. And that has to do with me listening and to their ideas and making them work. Yeah. You know, they, ha- they are so experienced and they're great storytellers and they knew that movie. I first had to learn that movie from them and from what they'd already made. And then I, you know, and then I'm able to carry the ball forward. So I try to be like a real student of what the demands are, really. Um, it's not like here's my vision for bad boys. Yeah, nobody cares about that. Um, but I'm really good at bringing other people's vision to life in that world. Um, Chris, when you not to interrupt you, but like, did you have to pitch the whole movie, the whole third act? Like, what did you actually have to go um, in and like I think verbalize to get that job? I did have a treatment of how the whole movie would work down to like, and this is a very Bruckheimer thing, but they're very granular. They want their movies to make sense. Everybody does, but they really do have a process by which that's done, and so like every clue had to line up they changed many times but it was like so i did have a document that tracked all that but to 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 pitch it to will didn't want to hear all that at that point this is basically like here is how the climax of the movie is going to go how it's going to turn and what i think needs to happen in the third act because really at that point it was like yeah we think the first two acts they're not ready but like the story points are right and many of the story points ended up being the movie i mean he he was right and those had been created by all those names i mentioned before right like a lot of he had been shot and yeah. spoilers and he had been, you know, come back and he and Marcus had split up. Like a lot of that had been worked out. I redid how some of that came along, a lot of how the scenes actually worked over the process of developing it with everybody. But how the movie wrapped up and what exactly happened, some of those ideas were in there, but the the way it all stitched together and all that, that was what I was pitching. Again, I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. I was more like, I think it's this and then this and then this. And then it, you know, and then you're just in, and then that's a yes. And then, yeah, I think he was like, cool. I don't think he was like, you, Eureka. My dog. Yeah, I think he was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can try that. We'll go with this idiot. I don't think he knew that I would be his longtime partner in the Bad Boys franchise. But uh, yeah, and then look, I, that, I ended up working on that movie for you, the whole way through. I was on set almost every day and in pre production, which was just a unique situation. There was a lot of rewriting. Uh, the directors were very inclusive. These guys, Adil and Bilal, uh, the producers knew that I was valuable. The, s- the studio eventually figured out that I, <laughs> I was valuable, even though they kept being like, let's send him home. We want to pay this guy. Um, but I ended up, yeah, on that movie basically every week of it. And increasingly just 
I had a role to play. There, you just kind of need a writer on that kind of movie yeah. with the kind of changes that are being made. And uh, and I developed a great rapport with Martin and Will and all the other actors and everybody. And so I kind of very luckily hold like a weird central spot in that, which most screenwriters don't hold in their movie projects. And where um, are you at Bad Boys 4? So I wrote that. Uh, I got hired for that towards the end of Bad Boys 3. I think everyone was like, okay. I had, I had come up with the idea for Bad Boys 4. Uh, Chad and Doug would be like, think about it. I came up with a few. I was like, I figured it out. <laughs> uh, and then I... I was like, I'm, I'm going to wait. And then eventually people were sitting around the monitors and, and Will was like, so what should Bad Boys 4 be? And I was like, what about... I let a couple of people say the wrong thing and then I was like, what about this? And everyone was like, yeah, damn. Yeah, yeah, that. And I was like, yes. That was probably the great Hollywood moment okay, of my career. Good. Like literally I was like, I literally bided my time. Normally I can't keep my mouth shut. I was like, I bite until the perfect time and everyone's like, yes, that one, that one. It's not necessarily fully that idea anymore and I don't... I, I probably shouldn't say that, but um, what it is, but like it was a very clear commercial idea that everyone got instantly and felt fresh and new for the franchise, including the studio, who were like, "Great, let's do this." And is that going to be the last Bad Boys? I don't think so, um, but that'll that is to be decided. But um, but certainly there's more story to tell, and um, so anyway, I wrote it for a while. Then we felt like that idea wasn't enough; it needed more. Another writer came on, this guy, Will Bell, who's a very talented guy. Yeah, he wrote an amazing script called L.A. Rex. Oh, cool. Um, it's about an L.A. cop. Yeah, he was It's an about LA a cop. corrupt L.A. Yeah, cop. Yeah. It's fucking gangster. I'll send it I'm to you. sure. Uh, and then I came back um, to write again, wrote again for a number of months, and then we went into production, and I was there, you know, doing my thing yeah. um, with everybody, and I was there until midnight of the strike when I had to come home. Jesus yeah. Christ. And we saw the strike coming, so I tried to get them a lot of alts and extra pages and things like that because they knew they wouldn't be able to call me. Yeah. And otherwise I would have been there, you know. Yeah. I'd still be there. Um holy shit. But it's they're not shooting now. They finished what they needed to finish. And I don't know. Now that there's a SAG strike, I don't know when they'll finish it. But what do you want to do next now, by the way? Like if you had a magic wand and they're like, Chris, you can have any franchise or piece of IP in the entire Hollywood cinematic universe. What do you want? Like what do you you know, I, have, I know that's a I crazy I should have question. that answer ready. Yeah, I'm working on some other exciting ones. I've got Pink Panther, which yeah. is a really special one. Um, yeah, that one's I play great. that for my daughter all the time. <laughs> she doesn't even know what it's from. But like uh, so after good. bath time, I just like chase her around to that song. Uh, if they'd let me do whatever I want with it, mm -hmm. I would maybe say, and I should probably just call them uh, G.I. Joe. Yeah. I have a lot of different franchises in the works, so I'm pretty lucky that way. I've got I've got my fingers into, you know, a number of them. Um, but, and I'll, t and I'll tell you, oh, hell, I'll tell you what my pitch is. It's too weird for anyone else to copy, but I loved that show Watchmen. Like I really loved it was that show. sick. And, um, I just thought it was awesome. And I thought the way that it blended reality with the sort of camp superhero costumes was so interesting. Um, in a visually, like I just thought it was so cool, um, and the way it kind of reconciled that, right? So you're like, you're in a real world with real stuff going on, but people are dressed like insane. Just, but it was so real. Yeah. Um, I would like to do that for like 1980s style GI Joes, right? Like I, whatever the rock and all those amazing guys have done their like military style yeah. GI Joe. I want one with like the weird Navy sailor with the bird on his shoulder and like yep. barbecue with yep. this thing. And like, I want to do that GI Joe movie. 
and I want them to learn that there never was a Cobra Commander. It would almost be like a Hurt Locker or like a Black Hawk Down, like 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 a intense like you know a Fog of War, uh, like Born on the Fourth of July. Not I mean not quite as intense yeah. as these these, but like it would be about guys who fought a crazy mission against Cobra Commander. And are all in like therapy or living their lives, storm shadow, these weird guys who wore like bright orange suits on and had like samurai swords on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Like just insane aesthetics. <laughs> insane. Ones that make no sense. But like right alongside modern warfare, these these guys were operating. Try to explain why and them trying to make sense of what was really going on. And I would love to do that as like a series. Um, That's fucking cool. Isn't that I, a Hasbro thing? It is Hasbro and De Bonaventura, and I've worked with uh, all of them, obviously, and it's Paramount. Um, I think they're doing something else with G.I. Joe right now, yeah. and that would be a risky swing. That yeah. would be not like... I know. But the argument would be, if you get that right, it's insanely cool yeah. and could be like actually in like awards conversations, yeah. and then you're like, what? How did G.I. Joe become <laughs> like that? Um, and you know, it would look at like, yeah, moral questions of war and who who's the enemy and how we treat our veterans. I mean, it would just be, it would, in the way that Watchmen dealt with racism and that yeah. kind of stuff that was like in police brutality and stuff like that. It's like, you know, it was the original one was more about like the nuclear annihilation threat, that book or whatever. But like, I thought it was brilliant. I know yeah. there are people who probably no, didn't like it, so it, but I was good. like, this is oh so cool. God. And I would love to take on issues like that through some kind of heightened aesthetic nostalgic property so that would be one um what are others that i would are there any of? video games uh oh yeah i would say um what do i love video game wise contra has always been impossible I but i would love, love to do contra why do you think it's impossible i don't know i've uh i've pr i've had a meeting with the i think that's konami or no it's is it uh no it's capcom it's one of the Cap uh, i think it might be konami yeah, it's Konami. Sorry, Capcom think, is Street Fighter. Konami yeah, is. I is think it's them. I think they can just be tough. They do have. I, I I tried to do Ghosts and Goblins for a minute with Will Gluck. I don't think anything's happening with that, but we expressed our interest. That's someone with like the knight in his underwear. Mm -hmm. Picture like Chris Pratt as like a knight in his underwear. Yeah, it's awesome. So um, bought it in the room. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I mean, Mario. I think I actually haven't seen the movie yet, but that seems pretty brilliant. I had been very interested in doing like a. Um, a Donkey Kong movie. You know and, they're doing it. Yeah, I know. But so that that I think is great. I was very interested in the Brain Krang character mm -hmm. from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. I haven't seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Me but either. that's I think he's looks in pretty it. cool. I'm sure. Um, what are so a lot of these have been done. Yeah, Mario would be so fucking good. That's how I got this Illumination thing. Was I pitched them this Luigi movie, which was essentially I love that. Yeah. Um, you've spent your entire life, Luigi, being number two. Being player two. These are the best characters. You've never been player one. You spent your whole life trying to help your brother save his girlfriend from fucking Bowser. You never even had a moment to think about your love life. Yeah, what's, who, do you, who do you love? And what happens when Mario gets kidnapped and you need to step up to the mantle and be player one? Can you fucking do it? Are you a hero, Luigi, or are you a fucking second no, fiddle? No, it's, it's a great, very me. <laughs> right? Very great. That's what I wanted to write. Um, I was just like... That's awesome. The, uh, doing the right ride. I had tried to do the Matterhorn for a while. I got very close there, um, and then it ended up changing a bit. But that was one I was always interested in. Like a good ride, yeah, is always interesting to me. And frankly, the worse sometimes, the better. Like I'm trying to think of. I'm interested in very bad IP. Not that Matterhorn would be sweet IP, but like a terrible ride. Like um, 
I I remember I pitched a few people like Epcot Center. <laughs> That's fucking yeah, cool, Captain yeah. EO. No, it's not a Captain yeah. EO or just, story. Just like, what is that sphere? Nobody's been in there. Like no. yeah, like what is that? Um, or yeah, I don't know. But just trying I, to figure out like what the that still seems interesting to me. Just like yeah, the more just like what are they doing? I know um, he's a Nazi, I think, or like you know a denier. But I would love to do a, a Walt Disney. I would love to see a fucking series about Walt Disney creating Disneyland. Like I agree, I think that could be. You do it like the offer or something like that. So yeah. something insane and heightened. Yeah, yeah, I don't know much about Walt, but I am a big Disney fan. I I don't have anything with them right now. It was National Treasure that I had, um, but I'm sure I'll work with them again. Um, I have a cool like sort of old public domain literature movie at pa- uh, Paramount. I really can't, I think I probably can't talk about that one, but that's big potentially. Is it like, what makes Sammy run? You got me. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a really fun one with a big actor. So that's like, feels franchisey. And okay. that's super cool. I'm interested in like, yeah, reinvention of characters. I'm trying to think of other toys. Yeah. I mean, my simple answer is I would love to do my, the Watchmen version of G.I. Joe. Okay. And I should call Lorenzo because he's cool and maybe he would go for it. But I can't call anybody right now. I know. You're not allowed to. Except maybe I could do the animated version. By the way, those old animated ones are like the most amazing thing. Yeah. And there are all the memes of them like dubbed that are incredible. Um, and frankly, I wouldn't mind it looking like that. But no, I would rather it be like some amazing costume designer building those insane costumes. And For like, sure. What? Why is that guy? And their, car- their names, like crazy legs. They just have like the craziest names. Um, so that would be a dream. Um I have others, but yeah, those are the big ones. And then I have this, um, I don't know, whatever I can, but I've, I've got a, well, when I give her the strike ends, I'll have like an over up a uh, first look deal and like a production company at Sony, which is exciting. So, um, that's super cool. Are they, so wait, was it starting in there? Like, well, we're going to pause it because, or like, it's just, there's nothing to do right now. So, I but don't they have, told you when this is over. I know I have a deal. But oh, it's, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's paused. Yeah, I'm yeah. not announcing it or anything because there's it. nothing to do. What's the name um, of the company? It's going to be called Unknown Quantity. All right. Yeah. So, All right. Um, breaking that news live. Here. Well, congrats to you, Thanks. man. I hope that's okay. Whatever. We Who's can gonna, cut it if you don't want to say yeah, it. But okay. I'll check with my managers. Um, Give me Lindsey Framson. Yeah, exactly. That's our Michael Wilson. That's both our of them? managers. No, mine's Josh Goldenberg, and they're going to be like, "Don't." But then I'm be like, "Who cares?" Because they can still be. I'm like, guys, I'm not fucking Joe Rogan. Yeah, exactly. I wish I were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, exactly. I'm not doing Joe Rogan numbers um, but over here. But it's an exciting opportunity to try to build and produce movies there. And and I I have gotten to the point where I would like to direct movies. I'm not not everything. It has to be the right thing. But I think increasingly, I feel like some of my ideas are so specific that I'm like, wait, now who's going to direct this? And I'm like, there's always if you get the three or four or five or even ten best directors, then it's like, well, obviously they're no brainer yeah. like they'll get it or i'll make it whatever they want it of it but but then i'm like well this guy could do it and would be great and it's probably more experienced than me but at the same time like i'll end up changing it to what he wants like but i know what i want yeah. so maybe you know it's, and i think what i want will be good so i think i'm getting ready for that i'm it will certainly be a learning curve but i think uh, that'll happen are you gonna have an executive uh probably yeah eventually yeah that'd be part of it mind i really don't good um i yeah i have so many questions do you like how inquisitive i am yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no i i (laughs) yeah i I mean there that it's just it's it's so hard to know what to do right now in the business i think i kind of need to watch how it picks itself back up and then figure out what i really need um but something i'm looking forward to um well, I'm excited for all this shit, Chris. Yeah, what I else mean, do dude, I have? it's a 
because I really do remember that time when you were working for uh, Jeremy and I was trying to write and it, like Teddy Bressman was another one. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we were. Has he done one of these? Yes. Oh, how yeah. was it? Great. Nice. He was like number four, I think. Sweet. Actually, he's it's fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, I can remember when that sort of co- cohort of guys. Yeah, we were all. It's like you guys are my class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know? And ooh, it's a battle. But you, all I can say is like in every. I don't know. It's like you just. I stay. I keep mixing up what I'm doing. I try well, to be clearly easy working. to work with. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm working. I find that that's such a, an important part that people lose sight of is like, be a good guy. Oh, it's, it's so, so fucking easy. No, and yeah. Like, you know, at Amazon, we worked there for five years. Do we have disagreements or things we think we didn't, you know, want to do? Sure. But like, if you call any single person from any department at Amazon, they will tell you working with us or me or whomever was incredible and that we were such nice, charming, nice Jewish boys. No, I think that's all you want. <laughs> you honestly, it makes a huge, when I think about who I want to work with, there aren't many, but there's the only people I wouldn't work with are based on their personalities, not yeah. not their what I think of their talent level. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to work with someone who sucks, <laughs> but uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but no, you have to be nice. I've run into a few people that I have crossed. I'm very nice, so they probably wouldn't even know how much I dislike them. But yes, there's some real assholes out there. I know. It's unnecessary. Totally. Um, I have a thick skin. By the way, I don't consider open criticism being, uh, you know, like, Brutal honesty is. I just want to say that to, to all the writers out there. Like that's important. I can handle that. You yeah. mean like not being brutally honest or being brutally honest to you? Being brutally honest. I'll give you one rule of thumb that I try to try. To, I'm just trying to. This no, is just please. a natural transition. You're gonna have to cut around this. No, I think. this is great. But um, I'm like, if someone liked your screenplay, they did not like it or didn't read it. If someone loved your screenplay, they liked it. And if they want to buy it or be attached to it, they loved it. That's a really good advice. And you have to hear it that way. If someone tells you they liked their screen, your, their screenplay, they did not. Yeah. But nine out of ten times. Yeah. Like, it's just unfortunately the case. Yeah, you have to be effusive. They have to be effusive. If, in... they, if, they, if they loved it, they liked it. Yeah. And if they actually want to be involved in any way, they fucking loved it. Yeah. That's, and it's always the way it is. And, it, and, and, and I've found. And it, so, yeah, I, you can die of encouragement or whatever, right? They say it's like the only business you can die of encouragement. But like... Who said that? It's a famous saying. I, I don't know. It's the only business where you can die of encouragement, but it's true. And it's like, do not go off of the likes of your screenplay. You have to read. You have to be your harshest critic. You have to really interrogate. Is it easy for that person to tell me they didn't like it? There were a lot of people that liked my stuff that confused me a lot early yeah. on in my career. Um, and now I hear someone I'm like, "Yeah, we liked it." And I'm like, "Oh, fuck you." Because <laughs> uh, by the way, sometimes I write stuff not good. All the, of course, you know, so it's not like everything. I right now is good, but it's I've learned the skills to make it at least more usable, decent, so, yeah. yes, as it were. Exactly, they're well, not going to be like, "What is this?" Chris, I want to thank you so much yeah. for coming out to you know you live in Laurel Canyon, but thanks for coming down the street or doing it was whatever. My it was. pleasure. Yeah, um, it was great to talk to you. Come back we anytime. Do, we yeah, can, we'll do we a watch watches. one. Yeah, yeah, great idea. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, dude. Okay. okay.